you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. The draft is finally in the books, and so we have a draft to react to here on Tapeheads Draft Season. Bob Oshusen, longtime radio voice of the New York Jets, and also college football for ESPN for years and years and years and years and for decades and decades and decades. Breaking down the All-22 for NFL films is Greg Cosell, who, Greg, I'm just happy that you've made it to the finish line with me, you know, at your advanced age to get all the way through the draft. I think it's impressive that we've made it this far together. Well, you know, Bob, just to show you how crazy I am, I'm still going to take one more week and watch some guys that I missed now that I've seen the draft. So yeah, uh, fortunately, the there were only three guys in the first uh, three rounds, three players that I had not seen in the first three rounds, because I think I'm up to about 210 guys now that I've seen and uh, in, in my one man scouting service. So, you know, it's uh, it takes a little time, as you know, Bob. Yeah, you're, you're the definition of unwell, which is why we have a guest <laughs> on to try to balance this out. And it is the incomparable Charles Davis, who joins us here on Tapehead's draft season, of course, on CBS during the NFL season, you'll hear him analyzing games. But, of course, on the NFL Network, he was covering the draft, put out mock drafts all the way leading up to the draft. So broke down these prospects, Greg, probably about as deeply as you did. And, Charles, thanks so much for doing this with us. We appreciate it. Hey, Bob, Greg, thank you so much for having me. This is fantastic. And I can't wait to talk a little ball with you. And, you know, Bob, with you being the radio voice of the New York Jets, I have the feeling that, you're feeling pretty good about what you saw come off the board. And, and, and Greg, you know, we're gonna, I know we're going to talk quarterbacks, which, you know, you, you know all the players, but you are a true quarterback guru. And everyone in our league, I know, checks to see what you say about quarterbacks because it checks out really, really well. And last but not least, mock drafts, as we all know, <laughs> are made to be put out there for us to be mocked once we put them out there. you there. go. <laughs> is, there a, is, there, is there any chance, guys, you'll allow me to take all three of mine and use them in combination so it looks <laughs> better when it's all said and done? Because at different ones, I got different guys. Like, I put Tyler Linderbaum to Baltimore at 14 with my second mock draft, but didn't do it with my final mock draft. You see where I'm going? So can I get credit for one that did before? Sure. Pick it. Picking at 20 to Pittsburgh on my first one, but not my last. Oh, that's right. It doesn't count that way. But I no, this, this should be like the SAT. You get to like super score your <laughs> yeah, best exactly. results. So, yeah, you went, you, you might have, you had, maybe you had three 1100s. In the end, though, you got a 1450. <laughs> so, tremendous work. Um, you know what? I will selfishly get to the Jets at some point, but yeah. you, I think Charles touched on the headline. And Greg, I know, has opinions on this as well. The quarterbacks were fascinating. 
the fact that one quarterback, Kenny Pickett, went in the first round, probably where most talent evaluators thought he may go, the most NFL-ready, polished product in college football this year. But no one reached. No one made a big, huge, aggressive trade up. No one panicked and thought one of these guys might go late first round and we better go up and get him. How surprised were you that in many mock drafts, you had Malik Willis projected as possibly a top 10 pick. Maybe people would be, you know, just entranced by the ceiling. And yet he and Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter and Sam Howell, all of these guys that I think we all think have NFL potential, all dropped later to the third round. And I mean, maybe in the end where they should have gone. What do you think? Well, I think that that's kind of, I think, Bob, you you laid it out perfectly. And I can't wait for Greg to chime in on this because I said before, we all check and see what Greg says about quarterbacks. And that's that's not because we're on this show. That's just reality. Like when you ask around the league and you check with people, a lot of people say, well, what did Greg think of his quarterbacks? And it's a legit, legit item. I think that the league evaluations for once, instead of the game of liars poker that we're all used to for the last month leading up to the draft where everyone gives you disinformation, I think the league told us the truth this time and actually stuck to it. And I think that you nailed it, Bob. There wasn't a panic. I looked into the camera on day two of the draft. I looked directly into the camera. I spoke to the people. Actually, I think I said at night one that someone's going to take a quarterback and then the others are going to dive in. I was wrong, but I was wrong, which fit the evaluations because before this whole thing started, and I'm going to let Greg get in here because he should, I said before the draft, and I stuck to it the entire time, there wasn't a single quarterback in this draft that I had rated as highly as the fifth quarterback last year, and frankly, the sixth quarterback, which was Davis Mills of Stanford, who went to the Houston Texans. If Davis Mills had played a full year for David Shaw at Stanford this year, I have a sneaking suspicion we would have been ranking him the number one quarterback coming out this year. So that's where my Hmm. evaluations were. But as always, that doesn't mean there aren't any stars in this. That remains to be seen. This is all about evaluation. Greg, how did you see it? You know, I was as you were just talking, and I thought about this over the weekend as well, but it even hit me just more, Charles, as you were speaking. I wonder, we become so ingrained in thinking that everybody sees the quarterback position now as a secondary action improvisational position. And it's easy to say that because we do see guys, whether it's a Mahomes, whether it's a Josh Allen, do those kinds of things at a really high level. But I wonder if somewhere along the line, and I don't know if this is true or not, as I said, I was just reacting to what you said, if somewhere along the line, teams said, you know what? That's all great, but we as coaches work 16 hours a day. We have a whole offseason. We put in our system. We want it to be executed, and if you execute it properly within the structure, there's a much higher percentage chance that our offense will run efficiently snap after snap after snap, not waiting for a potentially second reaction improvisational play, which has somewhat of a random feel to it. And I'm just wondering if, you know, even with someone like Malik Willis, and I I know you watched his tape. I personally did not think his tape this year was that strong overall. Right. Now, can he make plays? Of course. But, Charles, you and I both know coaches in practice don't roll the ball (laughs) out and say, you know, our plan today is to just go make some plays. 
And I just wonder if somewhere along the line, teams thought, you know what? These guys have some issues playing consistently within structure, doing the things that are required at the NFL level, snap after snap. They're pretty significant works in progress in that area. So instead of just taking a guy because he can make a few plays, hey, Sam Howell made a lot of plays. Yeah. And I, I personally think Sam Howell has a chance. But you know what? He wasn't that consistent from the pocket. He would tell you that. I spoke to him at the combine. He said to me, I didn't have a very good year. Those were his words. Yep. So I think that teams, who knows? I'm trying to give maybe a little more of a 3,000-foot view yeah. of how teams might have thought because Malik Willis would have been seen, I think, by a lot of people as, oh, you got to go get him because he can make plays. But obviously teams didn't go get him. I love that. I absolutely love that, Greg. I'm glad you brought that into play because there's a quarterback who retired and unretired that makes the plays from the pocket and he has all the rings and he's the best quarterback we've ever seen. And that, that of course, is Tom Brady. Russell Wilson gets misevaluated in my mind and was misevaluated coming out of college by the vast majority of us because the athleticism was predominant. But I thought that one year at Wisconsin was huge for him. Yep. And the biggest plays he made, and go back to his Seattle time, he made pocket throws. When he came out of college, everybody remember fourth and 26 in the Big Ten championship game? That wasn't a broken play. It was a pocket throw. And he makes it, and they end up going on and win it. So those types of quarterbacks hit. I thought that Carson Strong from Nevada, who didn't get drafted, might have tested that theory, Greg, except his knees. Yes. And I think his health were so bad that people passed on him. And that's why he's going to end up being a free agent. And last but not least, one of the all-time great quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, you have to help me with this one. I think that his career revived, for lack of a better word, actually continued to ascend or reascended, whatever word you want to use. When he got out of that stage near the end of the Mike McCarthy time, in my mind, I agree. Of, of every snap, he started to create. Instead of snap, rhythm, look for your guy, throw the football. I think he's back to doing that. And then the legs are an accessory, not primary. And that's what I thought for about a two, three years per stage. As soon as he got the snap, he was off and going and going to create right away. Now he's back in rhythm. And boy, that's the Aaron Rodgers we all knew. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I saw. And, and you're so right, because the last two years he's done that, and he's played at an exceedingly high level. And I think what people are starting to understand is, you know, sure, we see Mahomes do his thing, Josh do his thing in Buffalo. But at some point in this league, you need a drop back passing game. And if you don't have that, you're going to stop in your quest to get to the big game. You know, I think there are teams that are very good examples of that. When I say they don't have one, obviously, Charles, it's in their playbook. We know of that. Course. But, of course. But they just don't execute it at the level that's necessary to really advance and become a great team. And I think we're seeing that, hey, you know what? Maybe that's something that should be higher on the list as opposed to lower on the list. Yeah, the second reaction stuff, Bob, the second reaction stuff in my mind is that that's an accessory. That's what you sprinkle in. If the second reaction is what you're doing right off the top, well, we're, back, we're, we're having the turkey bowl out back. Right. You know, we're, we're playing and then we're coming in and having the pumpkin pie. And, 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 and that just doesn't work quite the same way as we go along doing it. And I think teams are starting to evaluate that a little bit more. And yes, we remember, just as Greg put out there, what Mahomes does, what Josh does, all that. But 
the biggest plays they make are from the pocket. And I'm going to just stop right here with this last observation. And it's one I'm going to continue to jump up and down the table on. Quarterback pro days have turned into horse contests at Central. Yep. How many plays can I show? How many times can I show you an off schedule, off platform throw that you all go, wow, how great was that? How about you hit your back foot and either the ball comes out of your hand or you back foot and hitch it to time up the route and then throw the football and make that throw time and time and time again. Drew Locke had a fantastic pro day with the off-platform throws. We haven't seen him consistently make the throw on three- and five-step drops he's supposed to make to make him a starting quarterback in the NFL. Correct. I think think all the pro days have got to stop doing that. Hey, you want to give me one of those? Cool. But we're getting a whole series to show you off-platform. All right, that's fine. But the biggest thing is, am I consistently making the throw on three- and five-step and seven-step drop that I'm supposed to make? Yeah, when Zach Wilson had his pro day, uh, you know, obviously as a Jets guy, it went viral when he had like that off his back foot flick the side on yeah. 50 yard down the middle. And and Jet fans saw that They're like, oh, my God, look what this guy can do. Well, you don't want him doing that. Like, <laughs> no, right? like if he's if he's doing that a lot, it means whatever play that you drew up, it didn't work. Yes. And now he has to go like, an offensive coordinator. I would think, show me what you look like when the play that I put on the whiteboard comes together the way it's supposed to and that you can execute that. And to me, that's more valuable. I agree. Oh, and Greg and I talked about this, Charles. I want to get your reaction as well uh, before we wrap up this segment and maybe get to some teams and some other positions. Sure. But even if the quarterbacks, an anomaly this year, dropped, this draft still shows it's still all about the quarterback. Yeah. Right? Like, look what teams did. Look at the trades teams made for big wide receivers. Look at the top 12 guys that came off the board to start. You had to get the Jordan Davis before. That was the first player in this draft that you can make an argument plays a position that isn't about the quarterback. Everybody else, it was the guy who's going to catch the ball from the quarterback or the guy that's going to cover the guy that you're going to try to throw to or the guy that's blocking for the quarterback. or Right? I mean, the, the, the top pass 12 rushers. picks, pass yeah. rushers, it's all still about the quarterback, isn't it? A great point. It's how the quarterback plays and how you affect the quarterback. All three of us are old enough to know these coaches. We weren't around totally when they walked the sidelines, but they're the legends. Bear Bryant and Bum Phillips repopularized it. The game is still about protect ours, rush theirs. Yep. It still comes back to that. It hasn't changed. Protect your quarterback. That's what you're talking about, Bob. All those offensive tackles came off the board. Rush the quarterback. How about all all the edge rushers that came off the board early? You're exactly right about that. The game is still played there. So you're right. Even if it wasn't quarterbacks, it was about making the quarterback either uncomfortable or or safe enough to throw it to those receivers that came off the board as well. I love that observation. That's Charles Davis. I'm Bob Wachusen. Greg Cosell, of course, with me as well. And this is Tapehead's Draft Season. We'll step aside for just a moment and come back and attack some of the teams, some of the other big position groups that were headline makers in the 2022 NFL Draft in just a moment. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. 
Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Papa Shoot, Greg Cosell, and Charles Davis, kind enough to spend some time with us this week, wrapping up our coverage of Tapehead's draft season and the 2022 NFL draft. And, you know, Charles, we spent pretty much the entire first segment talking not just about the quarterbacks, but philosophically how teams went after players that impact the quarterback. Let's get to some teams. And, you know, you brought them up, so I will selfishly take the bait. My Jets, it seemed, had a pretty good draft, right? Everybody seemed to collectively across the board think that they got a lot of boxes checked, that they were able to get not only three first-round picks, but three players in the first round, including Jermaine Johnson at 26, that many people had prognosticated to be top 10 guys. Um, And then they did get some other weapons. That seemed to be their philosophy. Just keep getting weapons, um, you know, for for Zach Wilson or guys that can go cover the other team's weapons. And that, of course, was Sauce Gardner, their first pick. So what was your overall take on their performance? I thought it was phenomenal. And one of the points I tried to make on the, on the broadcast, I don't know if it cut through or didn't, because let's face it, there's a lot of time, plus Ed Marinero. So, you know, there, there's a lot going on for our, for our draft time. <laughs> the people, people were hopping on the Jets bandwagon for the draft and Joe Douglas, the GM. I thought, look, did we forget last year? He already showed you he knows how to manipulate a board. Remember last year when, you do, when, when the Jets took Zach Wilson at two, he came back and executed a trade with Minnesota to get it, to get Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard tackle from USC at 14. You don't just take the quarterback and make sure and leave him naked. And in his eyes, hey, we had Makai Becton from before. You bring in Vera Tucker. You got a, a heck of a left side. And then you come back and get the runner, Michael Carter, at four. You get Elijah Moore in the second round. I thought last year was a tremendous draft for the Jets. Now you come back this year and in the game of can you top yourself? I would say Joe Douglas did because not only was he waiting to come back in to get Jermaine Johnson as he kept dropping, he did. How about in the second round, what he did to make sure he got Brees Hall? Because, I mean, that was a big deal. Brees Hall was, I think, the consensus top runner on the board. And now you're going to pair Brees Hall in the second round this year, Michael Carter in the fourth round last year. Zach Wilson has that. You got Elijah Moore last year. You now you come back with uh with um Garrett Wilson yep. this year. You know. Oh, by the way, you signed CJ Uzama, right? Didn't they sign Correct. Tyler Conklin as well in in, in 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 free agency? And then you come back and get Jeremy Rucker from Ohio State, who's a very underrated tight end. And people go, well, you didn't catch a lot of balls. And I was like, well, you didn't. You don't watch ball because Ohio State was throwing two. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, uh, is, uh, is Smith and Jigba. I mean, they were playing the perimeter game. You're not throwing it to the tight end because those guys are creating big plays. Jeremy Rucker's a Long Island kid coming home. He's ecstatic, and his pass-catching potential is more vast than what people know. I thought it was a masterful draft by Joe Douglas. And, Bob, if I could just jump in, I I couldn't agree more. The Rucker pick to me, we all know about the first-round picks and obviously Brees Hall. 
but I, I watched a ton of Ruckert. I mean, and obviously he did not catch a lot of balls, but people might forget he was a big, big time recruit coming out of Long Island. And he is a really talented guy. Obviously, he blocked a lot at Ohio State. But when you really dig into his tape and see the routes that he ran and the athleticism that he brings to the table, he's a three-level dimension as a tight end. And I think he's one of those guys, along with Ozuma now, now you have two tight ends. So the Jets are in a position that every offensive coach wants to be in. And keep in mind, their offensive coordinator has that San Francisco background. So they they can line up with two tight ends. They can line up with three wide. I think this is a team now that presents a lot of options offensively, and it puts Zach Wilson ideally in a good position. I like hearing all that. Uh, Charles, any other teams? We were actually touching on the Eagles, uh, Greg and I were, before we came on. The fact that they made a big deal for a primetime wide receiver in A.J. Brown and then drafted two Georgia between-the-tackles front seven defensive players as part of their top three picks, you know, in, in the Kobe Dean and, and Jordan Davis. Um, I don't know if that is a team that fascinated you or, or any others on your list. Well, let's stick with the Eagles since you brought them up because yes, they did fascinate me. Howie Roseman, the mojo was there. Okay. Not that it has been, you know, I, I really feel like some of these GMs and Howie is kind of a lightning rod for people really zeroing in on what happened, what didn't happen, all this. I tell you this about Howie Roseman. What's he stand, Greg? Five nine, five eight, whatever, right? But he, but but Howie Roseman plays seven feet tall, guys. Yep. In every draft, Howie Roseman gets after it. Okay, he has he has the the the, the gumption of the cat burglar. Okay, he's a second story guy because he has conviction on people, and he will go and do what he has to do to try and get them. Once he got Jordan Davis. Getting A.J. Brown in the trade, that means he had to work out the contract along the way because he didn't want to say, I'm going to trade for him and then have to work out the contract, which costs you even more money down the road if you hit it wrong. He worked out all the details, and now he's got that tough guy. See, I compare A.J. Brown in a way to Jarvis Landry because juice in your your wide receiver room, A.J. Brown's going to be the same way. You got to play the game with some toughness as well. You can't just go run your routes and do your stuff. You got to do all the things, do the things possible to be a pro. A.J. Brown is like that. He played through a lot of injuries last year and played really tough. He may have missed some games, but when he was out there, he wasn't 100%. He played strong. So let's get back to the draft. Getting Jordan Davis, and then as you pointed out, Bob, Kobe Dean, the linebacker who many had as their top linebacker on the board, they get him in the third round because of an injury concern that came, that emerged at the combine where he had a pec injury and decided not to get surgery at the time. So people think he's going to be behind in his rehab and will he be ready for the season? I'm willing to wait on Nicobe Dean because once he gets healthy, the way we're playing linebacker these days, they don't have to be huge. He's better than every linebacker they've got right now. Yes. So as soon as he plugs into the lineup, they're off and running. So to me, that was masterful to get him there. And last year, you remember, they drafted Landon Dickerson out of Florida State in Alabama, right? He played in two schools. We thought he was the heir apparent at center for Jason Kelsey, and he played guard last year. What this draft pick of Cam Jurgens from Nebraska told me is that the Eagles and Jeff Stoutland, their offensive line coach, have evaluated Landon Dickerson and think that he's really good at guard. And now we've got our heir apparent in Cam Jurgens at center. Kelsey with another one-year deal. Gives Jurgens a chance to break in. 
You leave Dickerson at guard, Jurgens takes over at center. I really like all the things they did. And I'm going to leave it at this. Kyron Johnson, the linebacker out of Kansas they drafted, an undersized pass rusher. They can use him as a DPR, designated pass rusher, until he gets really comfortable, gets a little weight under him. But, boy, he plays with great leverage that we saw at the Senior Bowl. He may not look the part, but he was getting underneath these big blockers and finding ways past them in pass rush drills. Hmm. You know you know what I'm curious about with N'Kobe Dean? I've, the tape is very good. You, you have to like the player. There's nothing not to like based on tape. I, I, I'd be curious if some teams thought because he's really close to the bottom end of the spectrum in terms yep. of height for teams that look at that. And you know, Charles, there are yep. teams that do that. They, they have do. standards and they have parameters for every position. We know that. Um, but the thing that stood out to me, because Kirby Smart is one of the few coaches in college football where, where when you watch their defense, you see true NFL pressure concepts. Yes. And N'Kobe Dean was an outstanding blitzer. And I'm curious if Jonathan Gannon, the D.C. for the, the Eagles, who last year I don't think could really do a lot of the things he wanted to do simply because he didn't have the personnel. I'm wondering if they see Dean in that role as he – matures and develops and gets coached because he was a really, really good blitzer. He's very good playing forward. I like that. And, and the good thing he had, and, and put, I think what some people might have been concerned with, Greg, is what he had in front of him. <laughs> you guys watch, I mean, Bob, you do college football every week. How many times have you gotten that shot on TV that you, you were not even talking about, but you notice it? Greg sees it the same way where that shot is from behind the offensive huddle and the defensive line is, has broken the huddle and they're waiting for you, and you look up, how many times did we see that with Georgia this year? Because it became a favorite shot because you look up and that imposing defensive line is standing there hands on hips. That defensive line allowed them to do so many things with N'Kobe Dean, with Channing Tindall, with Quay Walker, that because of the size with N'Kobe Dean, I think people were wondering, was he protected so well? Can he hand fight through things? If I can't protect him as well, that caused some concern as well going forward. But I think Greg is spot on. Nicobe Dean's just such a great player. I comped him to Jonathan Vilma because he plays the game with his brain as well. Yep. This is going to be a guy that, that you don't have any worries about running your defense through. And as soon as he gets healthy, I love that pick. And to get him in the third, to me, that's like an extra first-round pick, Bob. Yeah, when, with Jonathan Vilma, I always had a hard time interviewing him because I kind of felt stupid while I was talking to him. Yeah, well, I, I have that when I I have that Bob when I have conversations with him. I'm like, Jonathan, can you can you translate what you just said to me, please? <laughs> hey, um, we're always looking for diamonds in the rough. You did mock drafts, obviously. You were someone that was looking. I mean, literally all the way through this draft. So when this draft, you know, and, and I think sometimes with the fans and media, we spend so much time talking about the first round yeah, that we almost feel like the draft is over on Thursday night, where really the guts of your team are put together in rounds two through seven. Yeah. So who were, wh which teams do you think maybe did the best work based on your, you know, player evaluations where there were some guys in the second, third and fourth round where you were like, oh, wait a minute. Now they got a guy that I just think is a difference maker. Can I take Houston as a whole? Sure, sure. Let's face it. It's real easy. It's been real easy to dump on Houston over the last few years, hadn't it? I mean, it's been real easy. Like, that's not even been sport for us, okay? They've looked like total disarray. They look like, you know, are they even trying out there with that roster? 
what's going on? You know, why, you know, you, you hire, you hire a coach last year in, 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 in uh, David McCulley. And then you, you fire him in one year and he's worked his butt off and those guys played hard for him. So what exactly were you doing at that place? You know, they have the Deshaun Watson circus going on. I got to tell you something. Whatever was said before, Nick Casario, in my mind, in this draft, they went at it with conviction. I use that word a lot. They decided that Derek Stingley, who I think was the most talented corner in this draft, but I understood why people had a mod Gardner ahead of him because Gardner had been more consistent the last two seasons. But Stingley, at the top of his game, no question in my mind, best corner in this draft. And when he came back healthy for his pro day, and if you put the time in, and I, I assume Houston did, to be convinced that this guy's ready to elevate again, that's why he went at three instead of Ahmad Gardner. Then you come back and you get Kenyon Green at 13, which I was joking with someone that Kenyon Green was probably at the bowling alley or somewhere else because he didn't expect to hear his name at 13. He didn't think he would start to hear his name until the mid-20s and then beyond. But at 13, he provides... I think, the most physical offensive guard in this draft. So now you've provided a second starter right away. Then you go to Jalen Petrie. My favorite safety in the draft, my favorite player, was Kyle Hamilton in Notre Dame. So I'm not changing that. But people have heard me throughout this process. I've had a major man crush on Jalen Petrie because instincts are huge in the secondary. And Tyron Matthews, the patron saint of instincts, we know that. But since then, I've said Elijah Molden, from, who went to the Titans last year, reminded me. Antoine Winfield, when he came out of Minnesota before he went to the Bucks, reminded me. Jalen Petrie is this year's example to me of that guy. Now you talk about those guys, Bob, who we got in the third, fourth, fifth. How about getting Christian Harris, the linebacker from Alabama, in the third? Damian Pierce, a running back from Florida, who is a thumper, yet catches the ball well out of the backfield. The oddity is going to be that his first 100-yard rushing game will happen in the NFL. He never had it in college because they moved the ball around so much and they didn't stick with the run as much at Florida. And then Thomas Booker, the D tackle from Stanford, who can be a great zero technique and run stopper. Tegan Quatoriano, the tight end from Oregon State, more blocker than catcher. Austin Deculus, the tackle from Louisiana State. I think great value through there because they will compete. But Derek Stingley won. Kenyon Green, one. Jalen Petrie, two. John Mechie, the receiver from Alabama, two. When he gets healthy, Christian Harris, three from Alabama. All of them will start as soon as they are ready to go, meaning health-wise. They are immediate starters. And I think Damian Pierce, he immediately takes some carries from Rex Burkhead. I thought it was about as professional a draft as Houston has had in a while now. You know, just a real quick point, and I love your thought, and it's probably a, a longer conversation, but Jalen Petrie is fascinating to me because he obviously, as you know, Charles, he played what they call the star position. Yeah. So he played slot corner, box safety, and outside linebacker. Okay. And and obviously, when you watch his tape in college, he was all over the place. He made a lot of plays. But I kept trying to think, what is he going to be in the NFL? Because, and I'm just being honest, and again, this yeah. is what I try to do. I think about projection and transition because they played a ton of zone at uh, in college. Now, of course, Lovey Smith does too. And I know a lot of people said he's a slot corner, but he didn't really play much man coverage. So to me, yeah. that would have been a projection if you see him as a slot corner. And then as a true safety, I was thinking to myself, 
is he really truly athletic enough to be that guy in a Lovey Smith system? He could be. I'm not sure. And then I keep coming back to the argument that, well, the guy's made plays in college. He's just going to keep making plays. And I would just love a quick thought from you because I I think he's a really good player on tape. I just was uncertain in my mind as to what his projection would be in the NFL. Yeah, I think you're I think you're it's a great question, Greg, because I think you have to convince yourself of different things. Yeah. When you when you go back and look at his measurables and then go back and watch him run, move, all those things. Because he started there as a pure outside linebacker. So that this kind of a move was almost like uh 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 Carnell Lake coming out of UCLA. You remember he was like a pure outside back yeah. at UCLA. He was undersized. But because he was so athletic, the Steelers made him a safety. And boy, did they hit on that one. Petrie started as an outside backer at Baylor. But as you pointed out, played that star position. So he had to have the traits of everything. It's kind of like in astrology. If you're born within three days of either side of the dates on your thing, you get the characteristics of both signs. Well, that's kind of what Petrie was. He was in the cusp. Outside linebacker here, safety here, linebacker, you know, dime linebacker here. What I think he is is where the game has moved to as well. That Buffalo safety deal, Greg, where you have three. Yeah, you mean the big that, nickel, the big nickel stuff. The big yeah. nickel, yeah. right? He's more the big nickel guy as opposed to the nickel corner, as you pointed out. Because the nickel corner wasn't much of what he was really locked in doing. No, he didn't play a lot of man. Didn't play a lot of man, but I will say this. He moves and he's fluid and he ran way better than what, what people thought. I think he can do all the characteristics of everything else. I'm betting on his instincts about the football to be that type of a player. And I think the love you'll find, find plenty of ways to do that. That's what I'm counting on. So I think it's a great question. And it is a little bit of a projection. And Bob, I think that takes me to why Trent Baalke went number one with Trayvon Walker. Because there is a bit of a projection. There is a thing that Trayvon Walker is going to be a great pass rusher because you don't go draft a guy at one for six sacks a year. You draft a guy at one for double-digit sacks a year, and Trayvon Walker never did that at Georgia. Aiden Hutchinson did that at Michigan. That's why people are like, whoa, what's going on here? The projection for them is the athleticism, the scheme he played at Georgia where he took up double teams, where they didn't put him out there as a wide nine, all those things, they think that all that can emerge and they see that upside as being big, and that's what Trent Baalke put his name on the line for. Well, Charles, I can't tell you how much we appreciate the time you've given us, all this information. I mean, we could go team by team through this entire draft with you, but the problem is by the time we got done with all the information you and Greg have, you'd be in the booth calling your first game of the season. I mean, <laughs> we, hey, hey, we'd all, we'd we'd be, all be, we'd all be right there at kickoff, wouldn't we? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but hopefully we can do this again with you at some point down Anytime. the road. We love talking ball with you. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Thanks for having that time. Give me this time with you guys. It is flat out terrific. And you know, I love picking your brains as well. Look forward to seeing you again soon, Bob. Same with you, Greg. Thanks, Charles. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. You're the best. Thanks, Charles. That is Charles Davis. So much information. And we're back tomorrow with another, and I guess our final, episode of Tapehead's Draft Season to wrap up our coverage and our look back at the 2022 NFL Draft. Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell. Thanks for being a Tapehead. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 
37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com slash compatibility.